You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting, too. We can promise you this, you'll be smarter when you get there. On this edition of Commute. In the world of food, nothing makes a product more intriguing than a secret ingredient. We'll analyze a few examples and ask, how does the mystery make something taste that much better? Every spring in Gloucester, England, people from all over the world gather to participate in an annual competition. But it's not your typical sporting event. It involves chasing a huge wheel of cheese. What if our entire human civilization spoke a common language? Well, about a hundred years ago, one man created a language to be just that. So that language has obviously died out, right? Well, not quite. All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. So Dave, when it comes to the kitchen, uh, do you fancy yourself a good cook? Do you have a lot of experience cooking? What's, uh, what's that look like for you? So I don't cook at all. Um, at all, at all. At all, at all. <laughs> and the thing is, you'll laugh at that. I know, uh, before I even say this, I know how you'll react. And my wife would agree with this, because my wife's a, a fantastic cook. Because of my creative mind, if I decided to want to cook, I could probably be very good at it. Because I could, I w- I could have these creative ideas that would probably be really tasty. But I, I don't know that for a fact, because I don't cook. <laughs> so... When was the last time you tried to cook something, and what was the result of that? Um, so define cook. Like, are we talking a full meal? Yeah, like maybe the wife's out of town, and you have some ingredients around, and you try to cook, or maybe you cooked for somebody, or something like that. You know, I can do breakfast, so breakfast doesn't <laughs> count. But if I'm doing, like, a real thing, uh, I think 2005 <laughs> well, that was, was the last. That was not what full, I expected you to say. I expected you to say, like, well, now, breakfast, breakfast <laughs> we're talking, like, 2021, 20, maybe. I was expecting you to say, like, well, about four months ago, I took a crack at it, and it was bad, but I did it. But you, you're saying, like, two decades ago. Amen. <laughs> well, Dave, do you think, in your opinion, that a special ingredient known only to a few people, do you think that makes something taste better? Ooh, like a secret powder? Yeah, like you go over to Grandma's house, and she makes something, and hands it to you, and she goes, now listen, there's a secret ingredient in here, oh, and you 100%, can't know it. Yes. Oh, I'd love that. I'd love that. It's a placebo effect thing. Like, I'd like people to tell me that whether or not there is a secret ingredient in there. Even if there's not. Just Even if it there's plays not, with it your brain. Make, yeah, it'd make me feel like, ooh. Well, we're going to try to uncover the mystery of the secret ingredient and try to look at a few examples and see if we can answer that question. Like, why do things with secret ingredients just taste better for some reason? Why is this still a thing in the food industry? So let's start with a legend that has intrigued soda enthusiasts for decades, the secret formula of Coca-Cola. Since its creation in 1886, Coca-Cola has become an iconic beverage known for that distinct taste But the formula, Dave, is reportedly held under lock and key, and it's said to contain a mysterious combination of ingredients that gives Coke its signature flavor. Now, despite years of speculation and numerous attempts to uncover the secret recipe, Coca-Cola has managed to keep it hidden. The recipe remains one of the most closely guarded secrets in the food industry, adding to the allure and the mystique surrounding this beloved soft drink. 
And Dave, you can actually visit the Coca-Cola Formula Vault at the World of Coca-Cola in Atlanta next time you're in town, if you're interested. Now, as we've talked about before, you know, Coke was created on accident. So do you think the reason it's a secret is because they actually can't recreate it? Yeah, I think it's probably like a secret, but if you heard what the ingredients were, you wouldn't be that surprised. You know what I mean? Like it's a secret, but it's like if you tried to figure it out, you could probably (laughs) figure it out. You know what I mean? Definitely. Now let's turn our attention to another culinary legend, and it's been discussed on this podcast before, the secret blend of herbs and spices in the original recipe for Kentucky Fried Chicken. Since Colonel Harlan Sanders first introduced his famous fried chicken in the 1930s, KFC has become synonymous with finger-licking good taste. And Dave, the precise combination of herbs and spices used in KFC's original recipe has actually been kept confidential for years. To this day, it remains locked away in a vault with only a few individuals privy to the full knowledge of the contents. In fact, Dave, the company itself reports that only, quote, two or three people in the entire company even know the recipe. The secret blend adds a unique and distinctive flavor to KFC's chicken, making it a favorite among fast food lovers worldwide. And while some disgruntled former employees over the years have, yes, claimed to spill the secrets of the recipe, the company itself has denied the validity of every single one. But the secrets of the secret ingredient go beyond just beverages and fried chicken. There are countless examples of food products that boast a special something that sets them apart. Take Worcestershire sauce, for instance. The tangy and savory condiment has been enhancing the flavors of dishes since the early 1800s. But the exact recipe for Worcestershire sauce remains a closely guarded secret known only to a select few individuals in its production. Its complex blend of ingredients, including fermented anchovies, adds depth and richness to sauces, marinades, and even Bloody Mary cocktails, which is kind of gross, in my opinion. Yeah, nasty. And let's not forget, Dave, the mysterious secret herbs and spices used in various recipes and seasoning blends. Many popular spice mixes, such as the one used in Old Bay Seasoning or the famous Montreal Steak Spice, feature a combination of herbs and spices that create a distinctive and memorable taste. But the exact ratios and specific ingredients in these blends are often kept confidential by their creators, just leaving the people to wonder what makes them so unique. The allure of the secret ingredient has fascinated food enthusiasts for generations. It sparks our curiosity and adds an element of mystery to our favorite culinary experiences. And like you said at the beginning, Dave, we'll kind of bring it around with this. I think the placebo effect there, it's pretty powerful, even if Coke tastes kind of similar to Pepsi. The idea that it has a secret ingredient kind of keeps us coming back for more in a weirdly psychological way. Yeah, typically what happens is like you're with somebody, let's just say your grandma and this instance, and maybe they're making something and they go, now we add the secret ingredient. They just put a little salt in there. <laughs> I mean, typically that's what it is. Like the secret ingredient needs to be an innovation. I would have never thought of this. This is incredible. You're putting vanilla in your in your uh, in your meatloaf, you know, something <laughs> don't weird try that. like that. <laughs> don't <That's>... try that. <laughs> this is not a recipe podcast, but it gives you a flavor explosion. It's an innovation. This is why you haven't been in the kitchen since two thousand five. Is because you'd be try. You'd be like, what if? <laughs> what if I'm on the cusp of something just incredible right now? <laughs> Jay, we are all good at different things. Like some of us are good at sports. Some of us are good at an instrument, etc. But today I ask you, have you ever been good at something that didn't matter? (laughs) 
Like, for example, a few years ago, a mutual friend of ours and I got into this heated competition. Like, I'm telling you, almost came to blows over throwing a football-shaped bean bag into the crease of a lazy boy chair. You may have actually been I, there. We I was it. there. We were yeah. throwing it so hard, and we did it for so long that uh, it, the bean bag blew up. And I think the chair was actually damaged. Yeah, I was sitting there kind of like, hey, guys, you guys like want to watch a movie or something? <laughs> <laughs> How about you? Well, whenever I was growing up, uh, there were people in my family, you know, who are older who would put tasks on me. And at the time, I didn't realize it, but they would put tasks on me that they just didn't want to do and tell me that I was really good at it. So, like, here, here's an example. Potato peeling, <laughs> right? So, potato peeling is super <laughs> annoying. You're... If you have to make potatoes, it's the most annoying part of it. You have to sit there and you have to shave off every single one, right? So what they would do is they'd put a potato potato peeler in my hand and be like, oh, man, this kid, like, he is so – like, I've never seen somebody (laughs) peel potatoes like this. So then you grow up and you're convincing yourself, like – I have a special gift at this thing. And so now I'm realizing, though, looking back, that they just did this because they didn't want to do it because it was super annoying, which is definitely something I'm going to do to my own kids as they get older. Yes. (laughs) For sure. That's a rite of passage. That's a parent hack. Like just yesterday, I told my son, man, you're so good at carrying bags in. Help me carry these (laughs) bags in from the store. (laughs) But Jay, recently, a Canadian woman, Delaney Irving, discovered that she was very good at something pointless chasing a wheel of cheese down a mountain. Jay, this May marked the annual Cooper's Hill Cheese Rolling Race in Gloucester, England. The race is a famous English event where participants roll down a steep 180-meter-long hill chasing a wheel of cheese. A cheese wheel, Jay, that has been known to hit speeds of over 70 miles per hour. The race has taken place every spring now for nearly 600 years, drawing competitors from all over the world. And unlike many other participants who reportedly somehow trained for the competition year-round, Irving just woke up and decided to do it toward the end of her recent six-week European vacation. She says her only practice took place in the form of a few rolls on her hotel bed. And what makes Irving's meaningless win even more impressive is that she doesn't even remember it. At some point during the race, Jay, she was knocked unconscious while rolling down the hill. (laughs) I remember hitting my head. I remember it hurting, and I remember waking up in the medical tent, Irving told Greatest Hits Radio Gloucester after the competition. Though she was out cold for the final stretch, she did still capture the 2023 women's title, the reported first women's title ever from a Canadian-born female. And while most participants don't pass out, most do, surprise, surprise, get hurt. We usually average around 30 to 40 people who need treatment. Jim Jones, operations training manager for the local ambulance service, said after a past event, one where over a dozen people were hurt, including a dozen more who were simply there to watch. And outside of Irving passing out this year, Jay, the most serious injuries that were reported were a dislocated finger and a possible fractured ankle. And while Irving walked away with a headache, she also walked away rich in cheese. (laughs) The winner takes home the grand prize, seven pounds of cheese. And Jay, on the men's side, 28-year-old Matt Krola from Manchester in northwestern England, well, he won the first of several men's events because there were so many participants on the men's side. Asked how he had prepared by the Associated Press, 
He told reporters afterwards, I don't think you can train for it, can you? It's called just being an idiot. <laughs> so they just get the cheese. They couldn't give him like $100 or something or a gift certificate well, and the, or something. And the glory. I mean, you can't <laughs> put a price tag on the glory. You know, sometimes I'll still be standing in the kitchen peeling potatoes and like something real deep in my brain will be like, you're really good at this. Like no one can do this like you can. <laughs> It's like it, it breaks your brain when you're a kid. Like your your kid's gonna be like 35 and be like, man, I, I bet I can carry more groceries in than anyone else. He's like, I, I am a good car wash. <laughs> Dad was right. <laughs> I have a gift for this. Hey, this nobody's ever scrubbed a toilet. Like, hey, come here, watch watch this kid scrub this toilet. It's crazy. No, one, no, one, I've never seen it like this before. <laughs> he really gets in there. Watch him get in there. So, Dave, when it comes to foreign languages, you are kind of a master at a foreign language, right? I mean, you got an A in advanced French in college. I did. I'd say it would even be considered an A+. Yeah, so I gave you the opportunity to take the high road, but I'm realizing that maybe I was giving you a little bit too much credit because you definitely took the low road. I've probably told this story before on here. I don't know. (laughs) After all these hundreds of episodes we've done. But I'll tell it again briefly because it's such a great story. It's formative. Uh, I was going through a really rough time. It was my super senior year. Uh, I, I was just trying to graduate. I needed one class to graduate. I'd already been in school over four years. And the only credit I needed was French. Instead of taking it French how it's supposed to be, one semester, then the second semester, I said, well, I'm just going to take advanced, so I don't have yeah. to stay an extra year. Which you're supposed to, like, know French you're to sp- take You're supposed to know. French. That's the prerequisite, is that you know at least a little bit of French. Didn't know a word. <laughs> uh, so, got into the class, obviously was doing very poorly, failing everything. When I say failing, we're talking, like, 20s, 30s. Uh, I was just honest, really, about where I was in life. I had recently broken my ankle, so I was on crutches. Don't try to make the people feel bad for you. I lived in an apartment (laughs) that was just close enough to campus that you didn't want to drive. But, you know, on crutches, it's hard. It was rainy all the time. I'm getting soaked. Uh, You know, just a lot of stuff going on. And so I went to the, the teacher, and I just said, hey, here's where I'm at. Just look at me, you know, and I'm dripping blood and sweat <laughs> and water. And I said, and I'm paying a tutor $30 an hour to help me, and I just I can't learn. I'm incapable of learning. And she, she said, hey, you know, it was brave of you to come in here and ask. Don't worry about it. I didn't worry about it, never received another grade in there. And at the end of the year, I had an A. Yeah, not even a C. I mean, you got an I've graduated. <laughs> it's been long enough that they can't take it back. Oh, yeah. So um, they better not be able okay to. They might. That. <laughs> You might revoke your revoke your status as a graduate. <laughs> well, Dave, we're going to talk about languages, but specifically we're going to talk about a world language because this is kind of one of those questions you think about when you're a kid one day, you wake up and you look around and you're like, why do we not ever just create a language for everyone in the world to speak? Like, why do we still speak all these different languages? Because cultures have developed across the world and languages are different across the world. And uh, I know that that's a question that I had whenever I was a kid. And uh, you might be surprised to know that someone tried to do just that back in the day, about a hundred years ago or so. And that language was called Esperanto. So, Dave, Esperanto was created in the late 19th century by L.L. Zamenhof, a Polish ophthalmologist and linguist. Driven by a vision of global harmony and peace, Zamenhof developed Esperanto as a neutral and easy-to-learn language, drawing vocabulary from various European languages while simplifying grammar and pronunciation. 
Now, the goal here was to bridge linguistic barriers and literally create this shared means of communication for people across the entire world. Zamenhof believed that through a common language, understanding and cooperation would flourish, and that would lead to a more united world. Since its inception, Esperanto has gained a significant following and has been embraced by a diverse community of speakers around the globe now in 2023. In addition to that, its impact has been felt in various domains, including literature, music, and even international relations. One of the earliest influences of Esperanto was in literature. Many authors embraced the language, writing novels, poems, and plays in Esperanto. The literary movement not only enriched the Esperanto canon, but it also brought together writers from different cultures, fostering a sense of shared creativity and kind of a cultural exchange. Esperanto also played a role in music. Numerous songs have been composed and sung in Esperanto, showcasing the linguistic and artistic capabilities of the language. Music festivals, concerts, and gatherings dedicated to Esperanto continue even to this day. In the realm of international relations, Esperanto has been utilized as a tool for communication and diplomacy. It has facilitated connections and collaborations among individuals, organizations, and governments across borders. Esperanto congresses and conferences serve as platforms for cultural exchange and dialogue and promote understanding and friendship among attendees from all over the world. In the modern world, the status of Esperanto has evolved quite a bit. Now, while it has not become a global language envisioned by Zamenhof, it continues to have a dedicated community of speakers who actively use the language for various purposes. Esperanto has also found a place in education, with courses and programs offered in schools and universities worldwide. Duolingo, the largest language learning app in the world, even offers a course in Esperanto. Now, the internet has further facilitated the spread and usage of Esperanto, as you would imagine. Online communities, forums, and social media platforms provide opportunities for Esperanto speakers to connect, practice the language, and engage in cultural exchange. The new digital era has breathed new life into Esperanto, especially when we were locked indoors during the early COVID era, fostering a sense of global community and reinforcing its role as a language of understanding and friendship. You can even find groups of people online, maybe a little bit more extreme than others, actually raising their children to speak it as their native tongue. Dave. <laughs> Looking ahead, the future of Esperanto holds promise. While it may not replace existing national languages, it continues to provide an alternative means of communication, transcending these linguistic boundaries. Esperanto embodies the ideals of cultural diversity, respect, and global understanding, and its potential as a tool for fostering dialogue is really fascinating. Bon sage bon, Jay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nope. <laughs> well, I I, there's no way that's how you say whatever you're trying to say. I said good segment, Jay. <laughs> yeah, I bet you did. I did. Any, fr- any French listeners we have, uh, send, us, send us some feedback on that one. They're shaking their head up and down. Like <laughs> that's what he said. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on your favorite podcast network. We're on social. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutethepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jay Sisson, I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week. Or, on se vea la semaine You know, sometimes I'll still be standing in the kitchen peeling potatoes and like something real deep in my brain will be like, you're really good at this. Like no one can do this like you can. <laughs>